Crime Sound listeners, we're your hosts, Ashley and Ricky, and we're here today with another true crime episode that we both researched, put together, and hosted just for you in the form of a crime salad. The information that we find is found mostly on the internet, researching court documents, articles, and local news. And just to keep you in the loop with a small change with this podcast, Crime Salad episodes will now be available to you every Thursday moving forward. Thanks for your love and support always. Please know that Crime Salad is not intended for young listeners, and this episode in particular may be too graphic, so please keep that in mind. But for those up for the challenge, this is a story that happened in Meadville, Pennsylvania, and it's about a 20-year-old college student named Brandy Stevens, who was invited to a friend's home, then savagely beat, choked, and then buried alive. In 2012, Brandy was 19 years old and lived in Poland, Ohio. She was surrounded by people who loved her dearly. She had so many friends in school in all different groups. She had a love for music and spent eight years playing upright bass in the orchestra. She loved her family as well as reading and going on adventures with friends, often going on road trips. She was a great role model to the people around her and was very intelligent as she was attending YSU pursuing a double major in psychology and sociology and had a passion to help people. But she wasn't always this confident. In her early teenage years, Brandy was beginning to find out who she was and struggled with her identity. She was close to her family who were very supportive of her as she was finding herself and was always accepted for who she was. In an interview with Brandy's mom, she makes a claim that she knew Brandy was different before she even knew she was different. Before college, Brandy met a girl online named Jade Olmstead, who seemed to be facing the same challenges she was and noticeably lacked confidence, seeming to not be very comfortable in her own skin. The two lived together in Brandy's grandparents' house. Her grandparents didn't approve of them living together, so Brandy would sneak Jade in whenever her grandparents were gone. The two dated for several months. While dating, Jade never worked much and relied heavily on Brandy to do almost everything for her. According to one of Brandy's friends, after they broke up, Brandy tried to date other people, but would always compare everyone to Jade. Jade, who was 18 at the time, grew up in a very strict home and was raised Catholic. So being a lesbian was pretty much frowned upon, and her family expected her to change who she was, which is a pretty hard way to grow up. But it was nice to have a friend and a girlfriend like Brandy, who she could relate to and would always accept her for who she was. The relationship between the two seemed to be very one-sided, where Brandy was always trying to make her happy and would do anything for her, but never really the other way around. Jade was the type of person who craved attention, always looking for someone who would take care of her. And that's exactly what she found in Brandy. But things quickly changed when Brandy was working a late-night shift at Target, 
and Jade stole her iPod and some cash and snuck it out a window of Brandy's grandparents' home and left town. The two broke up after this, but Brandy was very forgiving and wanted to keep in touch with her. This allowed Jade to keep Brandy wrapped tightly around her finger. I think Jade knew Brandy was someone that she could continue to use and take advantage of. And when you look at the way Jade treated Brandy, she really wasn't that much of a friend at all. And I mean, doing things here and there for a friend, okay, whatever. But Jade was taking full advantage of her. Brandy even drove 300 miles to Maryland just to drive her back to Ohio. And when she dropped her off at her house, she immediately left to meet another girl named Ashley Barber. Wait, so really she just used her for a ride? She totally did. But even after being treated this way, Brandy still stayed by her side, texting her and being there for her no matter what. Yeah, but I think Brandy knew deep down that this was an unhealthy relationship, but she just wanted to help her. That was kind of just the person that she was, according to friends and family. But unfortunately, she was helping someone who didn't appreciate her effort and continued to take advantage of her kind heart. That's pretty sad. So now that we know a little bit about Jade and Brandy's history, let's dive a little deeper into who Jade's new girlfriend, Ashley, was. Ashley Barber was 20 years old and once dated Jade during high school, but the relationship did not last long. However, they did get back together sometime after Brandy and Jade broke up. Ashley was known to be quite aggressive and was someone who you wouldn't want to mess with. She often started fights with Jade's parents, which must have been pretty heated because after a while, Ashley was no longer allowed to be in Jade's parents' house. So when Ashley and Jade got back together, Jade moved in with Ashley at her parents' house in Pennsylvania, but this still didn't fully stop Brandy from keeping in touch with Jade. The two continued to text here and there, although Jade would just be nice and text her back, but only really reached out when she needed something. And Brandy was always often left wanting more. And you have to remember, Brandy was still very much in love. Jade was now in a new relationship, so to Ashley, this was uncalled for and unnecessary. So Ashley stepped in and the three of them began arguing through text messages. And eventually getting frustrated, Brandy decided to delete Jade's phone number from her phone. But before doing this, she sent her number to her close friend just in case she changed her mind. So that's exactly what she did. She would delete her number for a few days and then ask her friend for the number again. In an interview, her friend described that she did this more than just a few times. On May 17th, Jade and Ashley invite Brandy to come visit. And this was quite a drive, but Brandy was willing to go. She drove almost 80 miles. Brandy was living with her grandma at the time, and she told her that she was going to go visit a friend. She never specified who she was visiting or how far she had to go. She only mentioned that it was somewhere in Ohio. No one really knew where Brandy was actually going. But as she was making her way to Ashley's house, she began to second guess herself and she sent her close friend a text message telling her that she had a bad feeling about what she was doing and she sent her the address of where she'll be. I'm not sure if Brandy assumed that all three of them could put everything behind them and be friends 
Or if maybe she was led to believe that it would just be her and Jade hanging out. But when Brandy arrived, only Jade met her in the driveway, and the two of them were alone. Jade then led her into the woods to show her a fort that her and Ashley were building. The two continued down a path and into the woods, but what Brandy didn't know is that her and Jade were not alone, and that Jade was actually walking her into a deadly trap. Once they got close to the fort, Jade yelled out the word babe. Babe was their code word. Ashley then jumped out and both her and Jade began beating on her resentlessly. Brandy tried to fight back, screaming for her life, but it was two verse one. Ashley knocks her to the ground and stuffed a beanie into her mouth to muffle her cries for help. One of the girls wrapped a rope around Brandy's neck and began to choke her. While the other girl picks up a shovel and continues smashing her in the head with it. And at this point, Brandy had massive gashes in her head from the shovel, and parts of her brain were beginning to show. Ashley then got down on her knees, grabbed her by the hair and head, and started smashing her head against a low-cut stump in the ground. The two then felt she had enough and rolled her body into a pre-dug hole in the middle of their fort. And once her lifeless body was laying in the shallow pit, they began pouring a bottle of water into her mouth and nose to drown her. And before knowing if she was completely dead, they carelessly started to fill the hole, covering her entire body with dirt. I remember when we first started reading about this case, and I just assumed that Jade and Ashley accidentally killed Brandy. I guess it kind of made sense that the two could have angrily beat her and then things went a little too far and then all of a sudden they noticed she wasn't moving or breathing so they just panicked and buried her. Yeah, I did too, but that wasn't the case at all. The two viciously planned this attack, dug a grave, and then came up with a plan before even inviting her over. I know. And, you know, I understand that young people can get overly jealous or even violent without being fully aware of the consequences, but these two knew exactly what they were doing and even thought that they could get away with it. I also remember one of the girls saying in her journal that she knew she could get away with the murder, and she didn't even feel bad at all for what she did, and she actually was proud of what the two of them were able to accomplish together. You know, I've heard similar stories like this before where like a boyfriend or a girlfriend cheats on the other and the two decide that the only way to move forward together is to kill the other person involved. Do you think that maybe this is what happened here? I don't know. It's possible. I think there must have just been some type of like blind delusion that happens in these cases. I mean, it's kind of like you're young and you think that the only thing in life that matters is love or your significant other. Like something dramatic, like Romeo and Juliet or something. I think so too. And after cases like this, they must get hit really hard with reality and how the world actually works. We're going to take a quick break here to tell you about BetterHelp. BetterHelp is an online service that I personally use for my mental health. They provide a number of professional licensed counselors who specialize in all situations that may be interfering with your happiness. It's seriously my personal outlet to get my mind right. It's affordable. It's so convenient. I decided to give BetterHelp a shot when I was going through a very anxious part of my life. So I just signed up and I was matched with an amazing counselor who was so willing to talk with 
me right away. We actually set up a video chat later in the week to catch up. We are all so busy. Give yourself the care that you need today. Start living a happier life. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash crime salad. Join over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash crime salad. So after Brandy's friend received that text from Brandy, she never heard from her again. No one heard from her. Her calls and texts were unanswered, and after two days without seeing or hearing from Brandy, her family immediately knew something was wrong because Brandy was a diabetic, and she left all of her medication at home. On May 19th, Brandy's family reported her missing to the Beaver Township Police, but her friends and family were determined to find her. Brandy's close friend, the one who Brandy sent Ashley's address to, drove through the night to find her. It was a long drive down long and bendy roads, completely in the middle of nowhere, and it was pitch black out. She eventually arrived at the address, but there were no lights on, and Brandy's car wasn't in the driveway. She immediately felt hopeless and lost, so she decided to turn around for the night. The very next day, she contacted Brandy's mom and told her about what she found. Police also searched cell phone records to try to find any information about her whereabouts. When they get a cell phone ping on Linden Street in Meadville, Pennsylvania, this is where Ashley lived. Friends of Brandy's were also searching more about Jade and Ashley. They knew Ashley didn't like Brandy and knew Jade wasn't someone you can really trust. This is where they come across pictures of Ashley that she posted on Facebook of her showing off her huge bruises all over her arms. Her friends found this very suspicious being that this was around the same time Brandy went missing. With Brandy still missing, her mom and Brandy's friend type in the address into their GPS, the address that Brandy texted her that night which takes them straight to Ashley Barber's parents' house, where they met Ashley, Jade, and Ashley's father in the front yard. Jade seemed to be a bit nervous, while Ashley was immediately defensive, claiming they haven't seen Brandy at all, and told them that Brandy was supposed to come over that night, but she never showed up, kind of hinting to the fact that maybe she just changed her mind. This conversation didn't really go anywhere, so the two turned around to go back home, still left without any answers. Later that evening, a state trooper went to Ashley's parents' house. This time, finding Brandy's 2002 Kia Rio parked in the driveway. When Brandy's mom and friend went to Ashley's parents, they knew for a fact that her car was not in the driveway when they were there earlier that day. What's interesting here is Ashley and Jade originally said that Brandy never made it to their house, but when the police found her car in the driveway, they changed their story completely and said, well, Brandy did stop here, but she was immediately picked up by another girl in another car. So to me, what it sounds like is they originally had the car hidden or at least not in the driveway. And then after the friend and the mom showed up, they kind of panicked, went and got the car, and then began to clean it out. Yeah, and I think that's exactly what happened here. 
because when the police found the car, it was spotless inside and out, and her mom and friend even testified that the car was never clean, like ever. Her mom explained that her car always had so much trash in it that you would actually have to slide off a bunch of cans and bottles from the passenger seat just to sit down. Kind of makes me curious to hear what Ashley's parents thought about this random car in their driveway. Yeah, I think after Brandy's mom and her friend show up and start asking questions, and then all of a sudden this car shows up randomly, her parents have to start putting things together and at least be suspicious at this point. But the very next day, Ashley and Jade were already on the run. I think from here, they realized that they've been caught, so they just packed their bags and left. But not before a police officer notices them frantically getting into a car and quickly reacts, placing both girls under arrest. So their decision to run only made them look more suspicious. The two are then brought into the interrogation room, as a police officer is listening to both of them tell multiple versions of the story. And while this is happening, investigators are getting deeper and deeper into the woods behind Ashley's house. Police then uncover an absolute nightmare, making this no longer a missing persons case, but a murder investigation. It's not long until police find a semi-decomposed body believed to be Brandy's in a shallow grave in the woods behind Ashley's house. Police later determine that this is in fact the remains of Brandy Stevens. Her body is sent out to a coroner to perform a full autopsy of the remains. Once complete, the autopsy found that Brandy had 15 lacerations to her scalp, multiple scalp and facial contusions, a fractured skull, hemorrhage in the brain, multiple contusions and lacerations on her body, broken ribs, and dirt in her nasal passages, and in her bronchial tubes that proves that she was breathing when she was buried in the ground. Yeah, you heard that right. When she was buried, Brandy was still alive. I can't imagine the poor family having to sit through the graphic details of this case. Everything about it is just so unjust. When Ashley and Jade were arrested, Ashley originally tells the police that her own father murdered Brandy because he disagreed with her sexual orientation. But once Brandy's body was found, they weren't able to tell any more lies, and so they made a full confession, admitting to killing Brandy in the woods near their fort. What a monster to actually do such a heinous crime, then pin it on your dad. They were both charged with homicide and conspiracy to commit murder. Court was held at the Crawford County Court. During court, a police investigator testified the coroner discovered that Brandy did not die from strangulation from the rope around her neck, but suffocated from the dirt that entered her airways. Another investigator on the case interviewed the suspects when the two young women confessed to the planned-out brutal attack, giving gruesome details, saying they lured her into a wooded area where they dug the shallow grave, and then repeatedly beat her over and over, using a shovel at one point, which is the reason for some of the bruises on Ashley's arms. They explained that Jade accidentally hit her with a shovel during the beatings, they then used a rope in attempt to strangle Brandy. And what I feel is the darkest part of this crime, they admit with the investigator that they knew Brandy was still alive when she was pushed in the grave, 
When they noticed this, they grabbed a large rock, threw it onto her face, and then poured water in her mouth and nose, saying they saw her gargle it, and then it stopped. Journal entries Ashley wrote the day Brandy was murdered were also brought up in court. One of those reading, I murdered your 20-year-old mistake. She deserved it. This and other entries were added proof that this was a hateful, thought-out plan to murder Brandy. This also gave a clear description of what kind of girl Ashley really is. When Ashley pleaded guilty to first-degree murder, she was given a mandatory sentence of life in prison without parole for the murder of Brandy Stevens. Jade Olmstead was also sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Ashley felt that the severity of her sentence was unlawful, so she filed to withdraw her guilty plea, claiming that before making the guilty plea to murder, her lawyer did not take into consideration of her mental health issues and also felt her lawyer wasn't qualified enough being that he never explained the severe consequences. She now is fighting to withdraw her guilty plea and go to trial. The judge denied her appeal because, during court, Ashley clearly confessed and answered all questions that supported her guilty plea, along with not supporting any documentation that she has any mental health issues before pleading guilty. This case is so terribly sad. When we were going through pictures of this case, you can clearly see that Brandy was a sweet girl. Our thoughts go out to her family and friends. This concludes this week's episode. As always, you can find pictures of what we came across on our website at crimesaladpodcast.com. You're also invited to join us on our Crime Salad Facebook discussion group, where you can post links to cases you think are interesting or share anything crime-related and meet other true crime salad investigators just like yourself. And feel free to bring a friend. And if you would like to help support Crime Salad, write us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or wherever you're listening to us now to help other listeners find us. Remember to follow us on Instagram and be sure to tell a friend about Crime Salad. Thank you all so much for listening. See you next week. Crime Salad is a true crime podcast delivering a healthy portion of crime. Crime Salad is a weird salad production. Are you kidding me? That was perfect. All the blood, blood, all the pain, pain. All the blood, blood, all the pain.